Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nicholas Zano in Washington, D.C. Today we're speaking with our special guest, John Abbott, who comes to us by way of many various paths, including a background in the United States Marine Corps and academic study in management and leadership. We're happy to have John here, and we'll ask you, John, to just kick things off by giving us a little bit of a background about yourself. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for inviting me to, to be on the show here today. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, a little bit about myself. I, uh, I joined the Marine Corps at the ripe old age of 17 years old, um, which was a lot of fun watching your parents have to sign the documents that uh, <laughs> tell you that you're owned by the government officially, but uh, my parents really loved that one. Um, but uh, I should specify I've been in the Marine Corps Reserve um, about going on 14 years now. Uh, like I said, I uh, enlisted in uh, 2006 at the age of 17. I actually finished boot camp before I got my high school diploma, which was uh, kind of cool and fun. From there, you know, I did the basic entry-level training for the Marine Corps. I became a, a communications technician out, uh, spent about seven months in 29 Palms, California. So if you have any uh, Marines on your in your audience, they'll have fond memories of that lovely little oasis in the, uh, in the desert. So yeah, from there, I ended up going to uh, my undergrad at East Stroudsburg University in Pennsylvania, where I ended up studying history which, you know, we can talk about a little bit later how, how studying history has kind of uh, impacted my career and my leadership style. Um, ended up moving down to the D.C. area. Um, I started out as a contractor working at, uh, at one federal agency under Department of Justice. Um, from there, I've ended up working at uh, multiple federal agencies, um, you know, one at the cabinet level, um, one as a sub-cabinet agency. Um, I won't go into the specifics of, of which ones they are, not for any security reason, just in case I say something dumb. Uh, I don't, don't, want the, don't want to get fired. You know. But uh, all jokes aside, I mean, it's been a great career working down for government. Um, you know, while, while working, I ended up getting a master's degree in management and leadership. I ended up the whole Marine Corps Reserve life, uh, you know, with the, the civilian sector, I think. Uh, what I like to say is I like to think that being good at one kind of makes me better at the other um, in both directions. So I think, you know, being a good quote-unquote civilian or normal employee working with normal people. Uh, I like to think that kind of makes me a better Marine leader, and I think the experience in the Marine Corps uh, makes me a better civilian leader, um, or at least strive to be one. Uh, and, yeah, it's about it in a nutshell. I did deploy. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to deploy to the Middle East like, uh, like so many other service members, uh, but I did spend some time in Europe uh, as well as in Africa doing some cool uh, command center type work and theater security cooperation missions. Um, so it's been a fun ride. Um, I do like to specify just because in the podcast world, there are a lot of, uh, you know, combat veterans out there um, telling really stories about really tough service. I'm not one of those. Um, I, I do not have any direct combat experience, but, uh, you know, the, the experience I have picked up in the Marine Corps has been incredibly valuable to me, and I'm, I'm happy to share what I can uh, with you guys today. Well, I appreciate that introduction, John, and, you know, any of us who have been part of any type of military service branch or have had family members uh, who have served know that it takes a lot of different roles for any mission to be completed with success. So um, combat, uh, you know, being on the front lines of combat isn't necessarily the, the only place where, um, you know, the, the value is being created in, uh, in organizations uh, as large as all of our service branches. So thank you for your service. Well, let me let me kick it off with a, 
a question really related to what got you interested in joining the Marine Corps in the first place. Did you just decide I want to find the absolutely most difficult thing I could do as a 17-year-old? And that, <laughs> that rose to the top of the list. Yeah, uh, so actually it started a lot younger than that, probably second or third grade. Um, you know, I always just kind of had this thing. I wanted to be in the military. When I was younger, um, I don't know if I saw Top Gun or something like that, but I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, I thought that was really cool. Then I realized <laughs> I was uh, not not super good at doing math in my head at, you know, Mach 2 or whatever. So I thought I'd leave that to those, those types of people. Um, and then, you know, like every every tough or in their head, tough young man does. They have their, uh, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL or a Special Forces kind of guy. So I had my little phase of thinking that was going to be the path. Um, but, you know, as I got into high school and got more serious about it, the uh, the Marine Corps just seemed to be the right fit for me. I'd, I'd had a couple friends who had gone ahead of me, um, and it just seemed to be the, the right service. Obviously, you know, I was um, a young teenager when 9-11 happened, so that was when it really kind of solidified my, you know, I need, I need to serve, I need to give back and do my part kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's where it really happened for me. Um, I enlisted. My plan had always been to actually go officer. Um, there was a time where I considered ROTC or, you know, even trying to get into the Naval Academy. Um, but what I really realized that, uh, for me personally was that if I really wanted to be expected to lead troops, uh, lead people on the ground, uh, I wanted to have that lower level experience first. Um, that's not the only way to do it. I've met some great officers who were never enlisted, um, I've made some, met some great enlisted who would have made great officers and, you know, and the like. But um, for me, I just really wanted to have that enlisted man, uh, man or woman's experience and, and perspective before I was ended up ended up going into a leadership role. Considering my uh, title is still staff sergeant, I obviously never uh, never got through with the uh, the officer's side of things. Uh, still a little bit of time. I'm not too old yet, but uh, that's kind of the path I'm on right now. So. Well, that's very interesting to me and uh, a, a commendable path as well, I think. Um, having been someone myself who went through Air Force ROTC and, um, like you, uh, <laughs> had a variety of reasons where um, the, the questions came up about how I wanted to pursue uh, ultimately uh, whether or not I would uh, continue on that course and and where is that effectiveness uh, the most critical? Is it actually... Um, and, you know, uh, kind of as, as you uh, just characterized, uh, is it coming at it from um, that officer perspective or up through the ranks uh, of the enlisted? So, uh, again, a commendable path, I think, uh, for you to have taken. And I'm curious in, in particular how you think that has helped characterize some of your own perspective around a leadership style that uh, is, is one that you would uh, say is unique to you. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, as, as you know, being a veteran yourself, there's, uh, or you know, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about the Air Force, but uh, at least in the Marine Corps, you know, we we push leadership and, and responsibility down to the lowest possible level at all times. Um, one of those kind of decentralized command type things, um, and that really starts day one at boot camp. You don't realize it um, at that time, especially when you're 17 and scared um, out of your wits. Uh, getting screamed at by a drill instructor, but you're you're really learning those basic uh, leadership skills and what leadership looks like um, from the ground level early on. Uh, what's really cool about the Marine Corps, and I'm sure it's similar in other services, is that um, enlisted folks actually train the officers, um, especially in officers candidate school and the basic school. You know, you're going to have uh, you know a staff sergeant or a gunnery sergeant who's actually responsible for making a Marine 
out of a recent high school graduate or, or even a formerly enlisted Marine, you know, making a Marine officer out of them. Um, so that's been a really cool thing to, to witness and see, um, you know, especially as I rose to the ranks and we would get, you know, a, a young lieutenant or a first lieutenant come to our unit or, um, you know, I'd be paired up with them for a task is that, you know, you know, you're sir, you're the boss, you're the officer or you're ma'am. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm the one with 10 plus years of experience here. So it's your decision, but let me, let me give you a few suggestions on how to maybe best go about this decision. And then you can make that decision. Um, so, and you can see right away, you know, the officers that are going to be a good one. They come in with their ears open and their eyes open. Um, they're ready to listen. They're ready to learn. Um, but that doesn't mean they're going to get walked all over or that they don't know what they're doing. They're not consummate professionals. Um, but you know, the ones that come in and think they're going to tell you how to do everything, um, that the team's just going to listen because they're going to listen, uh, because you told them to, cause you're an officer. Uh, those are the ones that aren't really going to do well. And it's, it's really a shame to see, um, you know, I, one of the programs I worked in with the Marine Corps involves um, taking business executives uh, on kind of a day through the Marine Corps experiential type leadership program. And it's, it's really cool to see people from the private sector come in and, and kind of see how we lead and how we do things. Um, one particular experience that kind of speaks to your question, I think, was I had an exec. Uh, I believe he worked in the finance industry, but I, I could be remembering someone incorrectly. But either way, you know, about halfway through the day, he looks at me and says, you know what, man, I I wish I had Marines in my workforce. You know, it's, you guys just take all the decision-making out of it for these people. You just, you know, tell them to take the hill and they go ahead and they go do it. And it's, there's just no question about it. And I had to kind of stop myself from laughing. Um, but I said, you know, let me, let me frame this for you a little bit differently if I could, sir. Um, imagine you have, you know, let's say 40 young, mostly men, ages, you know, 18, 19, 20, maybe 21. You just spent about a year training them and convincing them they're the meanest, greenest, baddest fighting machine on the face of the planet. Um, and then you go ahead and tell them to do something just because you told them to. And you let me know how that works out for you. Um, to, Very well. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so in his eyes kind of, you know, opened a little bit wider. And I said, you know, what it really comes down to is servant leadership, um, leading from the front, leading by example, you know, not asking your Marines to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Um, any closing thoughts around um, sort of, you know, that uh, that dichotomy between uh, the, you know, new officers that are coming in? You, you were saying that you can identify pretty quickly um, who's going to be, uh, you know, a good leader versus someone who, and we kind of never got to the second example where um, if, if they don't have more of a servant leadership role, where that kind of breakdown could occur. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think, you know, to be, to be honest, you don't just see it in uh, in the military. I think, I don't know if it's an innate human thing that we're, you know, biologically or psychologically wired to notice, but I mean, I think you see it, you know, you're, you're sitting in a room, you're in a meeting, you're at an organization or a function and someone walks in your room in the room and you, hey, that guy's a leader or, you know, that woman, you know, I would follow her. Um, a lot of those skills I think are learned and, and picked up over, over time. Um, and, you know, there's always this, nature nurture debate on, you know, are leaders born or made or, um, et cetera. But, um, I think it's a combination of both. And I think that what's most important, uh, to kind of put a pin in the servant leadership thing is, is authenticity. You know, there are a lot of different leadership styles that can fall under, um, you know, servant leadership or transactional leadership or transformational leadership, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Um, I think every other week, a, you know, a business writer decides there's a new type of leadership. Um, but for me, what it really comes down to is authenticity is, is the style that you're using, 
um, are the words that are coming out of your mouth and more importantly the actions that you're taking um, are they just techniques that you picked up in an HBR article or, or do you really believe those things um, and you know are, are your actions really you know um, mirroring the words that you're speaking so so that for me is probably how I'd put a pin on that um, you know you know a bad leader when you see one pretty quickly um, most of the time because they're trying to tell people to do stuff instead of asking people to do stuff um, or they have to tell people to do stuff instead of their team, you know, automatically, hey, this is the boss's intent. This is what they want uh, want to get done. I understand why I need to do these things, um, and I'm going to do my best to get this product or, or this project done uh, for my team and for my boss and, and, and for myself. So, Yeah, you know, you, you touched on something that I think is a really important characteristic to my mind, and, you know, authenticity is certainly, I think, at the top level of, uh, one of those most important factors of creating trust within a team as well as within a leadership structure. But one other thing that you said that, you know, really uh, resonates with me is you need to have an inquisitive mindset. Um, coming into a role, particularly as a new leader, whether you've just been promoted in or you've been hired in, uh, or, you know, uh, in, in coming straight out of something like uh, officer candidate school into um, working directly within the ranks. Um, that's something that, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's second nature to those of us who have um, been exposed to the demands of leadership for a long period of time. Um, but it's not always something that's first nature to someone who um, you know, is brand new to that leadership role, uh, coming in from more of an authoritarian perspective where the belief may be in order for me to be a strong leader, um, I need to know, and therefore I'm going to tell versus, uh, I'm going to be open, uh, to learning and I'm going to question and receive the information openly. Right. Um, yeah, that's totally right. And I think what, uh, what I was kind of thinking about when you brought that up is that, Leadership really is, and you hear people say this a lot, you know, you got to learn how to lead yourself before you can lead anybody else. And um, when I kind of embarked on this quote-unquote leadership journey of mine, uh, really really seeing leadership as something that I wanted to, um, you know, hone in myself and grow in myself um, as opposed to just a thing that I was kind of passively doing, I guess, because the Marine Corps was guiding me. But uh, I guess, you know, to sum up this rambling, you know, taking an active role in my own leadership development is probably the best way to put it. Um, I really realized that it's, it's an internal thing that you need to do, and it starts with asking questions of yourself um, and reflecting on yourself and asking, you know, did I hand, do I handle these situations properly? Do I listen when other people speak? Am I being the best person I can be? Um, am I being the best leader I can be for my people? And all those things. So I think before you can even ask questions of, of the people you've been asked to lead, you need to kind of go through that self-discovery on your own. And frankly, it's not always fun. Um, it's, it can be painful. I mean, once you really kind of embark on this leadership journey, um, you realize all the things you've been screwing up for a long, long time. Um, and it's, you know, it's, and some of them are, are kind of serious things. You know, I didn't handle that relationship appropriately, or I burned that bridge, or I said hurtful persons to this person thinking I was motivating them or, or this, that, the other thing. Um, you know, I started, for example, um, on the advice of a, of a good friend of mine, keeping a journal a number of years ago. And it's, you know, it's not any, you know, there's a number of different ways to do it. Tim Ferriss has his five minute journal and, you know, you can buy journals online that prompt you with questions. But for me, it was just 
sitting down, putting pen to paper for a few minutes every morning and just writing down my thoughts, kind of having a conversation with myself. Um, and it's a really interesting process where you, if, if you're doing it honestly and earnestly, you know, you'll figure out some things about yourself. Um, you'll, you'll do, and I do this to myself all the time. I'll be writing something that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if someone found this journal five years from now, I'd want them to read this. But in my mind, I'm like, you know what, man, you know, that's not the truth. That's not what you actually think. That's not how you actually feel. You're embarrassed of yourself. Um, and like I said, that's a painful, difficult thing to go through. Um, but I think it's so important to do as, as a leader at any stage in your career. And you don't have to do it through writing. You don't have to do it through meditation. Um, if for you it's going out for a run and just thinking whatever it is. Um, but kind of going through the, down to the depths of the, that terrible person that you might be inside and, uh, and, and finding that good piece in there that you want to resurrect. Um, that to me is, is the first step. And I know that's not exactly the question you asked, but I think before, like I said, you can ask anything of anybody else. You have to ask a lot of yourself. Um, and that's where you can see those types of people that have done that or, um, or are kind of innately more self-aware than others or that have that, you know, higher EQ or emotional intelligence. Um, it really just goes such a long way. No, I love everything that you said. And even, you know, I think where you went with it, um, was very beneficial, uh, considering that you've got a, an actual method, um, as an example, you know, that can, can help, uh, uh, drive, um, you know, exposing some of that inner awareness. Yeah. You know what I really right. like about that is you, you went through, uh, you know, the matter of being authentic with yourself and with others. Um, and it, it kind of really reminds me of this great quote. Are, are you much of a reader, John, at all? I, I don't know, but, um, I I am. I, I love reading. So throw some books at me. I'll write them down. And read <laughs> there's, them later. A, there's a great book called Ed, uh, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. Yeah. He's uh, one of the co-founders of Pixar. Um, and, yeah, and I haven't has, read the whole thing. I've, uh, I've listened to about half the audio. Too, yeah, but, he has uh, this it's great, on my list to finish. Yeah, yeah, he has this great quote. Um, I was just thinking of when you're talking about, you know, he says it's be authentic. It's be patient, be authentic, and be consistent, and the trust will come. Um, and, and yep, absolutely. That whole quote right there just completely sums up everything that you just said, I feel like. In, right. In shell. Well, I think the thing that I would add to that um, with this authenticity thing is that there's, it can be a little bit of a, um, a misnomer. or There's kind of a catch, if you will, is that, you know, you'll, you'll, I've run into people that are like, well, you know, I'm just brash and I, and I say what I think and I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's just how I am. I'm being authentic. It's like, well, you know, your authentic person might be kind of a jerk. So <laughs> it's time to, you know, you, you need to go. And, and I've been that way. You know, I look back again as a, as a yeah. young leader at times where I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm the squad leader here. So it's just do what I say because I say so. And, um, and, you know, things get done, but did they get done as well as they could have or, as, or you know, as, um, as efficiently or effectively as they could have? And the answer is probably no. Um, so I think, again, you know, that's where that ties back into that self-discovery. Um, there's another great book, and I'm totally blanking on the title right now. I think the author's last name is Novak. He was the uh, a former CEO of, uh, of the company that holds, like, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and whatnot. I'm, I'm, I might be screwing his name up. Uh, but anyway, he has this quote in his book that it's, it's something along the lines of, um, you know, being yourself doesn't mean ignoring the impact of your actions on other people. Um, so you can be authentic all day, but if you're not working on making that authentic person that you are into a better person, into a good leader, into an empathetic person, um, someone who listens, someone who genuinely cares about their team, 
um, that authenticity isn't going to get you very far. You know, I think you make a very valid point there too. Um, when you say being authentic, it's it's not about being brash and just speaking wh- whatever's on your mind. Um, it's it's about being a real person and kind of admitting when you don't know something. Um, you know, when you're a leader, yep. you have a team. You're you're leading the team, and um, you know you might have an infrastructure guy, or or in your case, you know someone who's a rifleman, a point man. Um, they're working for you. They're going to know that job better than you do, and you know. You're going to have to trust in their opinion um, and, and what they bring to the table. Um, and, and that kind of brings me to the question I have for you is, you know, when you become a new leader and you, you move from being a tactician to uh, having to get things done every day, a more hands-on level, and you get promoted and, like, let's say it's within the same team that you used to be a member of now you're in charge of them do you have any tips or tricks of kind of like helping to make that transition from being a peer to being a manager i mean you know sometimes in these blue collar jobs or even like it jobs when we all work in a server room or or um you know a data center we kind of get buddy buddy like it like it's almost uh like like we're friends and you kind of have to take that friend dynamic and and now you're you're in charge of these individuals um do you have right. any um, tips or tricks or words of advice for somebody to help them kind of make that transition? Yeah, I think so. So I think um, a, a couple things that we could talk about here. One is that that is one of the things that's, in my opinion, a little bit easier in the military. It's very plain and simple. You know, I used to have one stripe up on my collar. Now I have two. Um, so that means that this relationship has changed a little bit. Um, and I think that, you know, most of the best people I've had relationships with in the military understand between that uniform on and uniform off type role. Um, you know, one of my longtime mentors, uh, great guy, great leader, you know, he has chewed my butt to no end in the past for things that, you know, he rightly should have. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, man, let's go get a beer. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's understanding this is the job. Um, you know, it was authentic anger. It wasn't, it, or, you know, redirection might be a better way of putting it. Um, he wasn't faking it. He was walking the walk and talking the talk. But I understood that it was in that scenario, in that in that line of business. Um, so that's one thing that I think you can have those honest conversations with your people. If, you know, you got a small team, especially if you're a younger employee, um, maybe you all got to this company at the same time and um, all were kind of coming up together and, and, and you're the one that gets promoted ahead of your peers. Um, a couple things. One is they should be happy for you. If you got that job, you know, authentically, you weren't playing office politics or, or doing anything behind anyone's back and, and you really were the right person for that job. These people, if they really are your work friends and your colleagues, they'll, they'll be happy for you and, and they'll be ready to follow your lead because they know you're a good leader and that you know what you're doing. Um, another thing to do is, you know, when those lines start getting crossed or blurred, have those conversations. Um, you know, hey, man, I know we started at the same time. I know, uh, you know, you, you applied for this position as well and didn't get it, and I did. Um, but I really want to work together to make our whole team successful because if I'm successful, then you'll be successful. We'll all make more money. The team will do better, et cetera, whatever that is. Um, so I think honest and, and frank conversations with people and having candor goes a long way. Um, and, you know, if, if the person on the team – can't deal with that then well guess what you've just been promoted to a leadership position you're now in a position to do something about that uh, maybe it's honestly maybe it's talking to your boss and saying hey you know uh joe over here is having a real tough time with me being his boss um i've tried what i can to mentor him here are the concrete things that i've done to try to make the situation better 
Um, and you have to have those concrete things. You can't just say, oh, I talked to him a few times. No, what did you really do? Did you have a counseling session? Did you get to the root of why he's having trouble following your lead? Is it something that you're doing? Are you being a bad leader? Is it the power go to your head? Um, all those things. You have to take real concrete steps, having honest and frank conversations, and, again, continually doing that constant introspection uh, into your own life and how you can be doing a better job. Um, and the last thing I'll say is the idea of why. Um, you know, we always say, you know, what's your why or um, and this, that, the other thing. There's that book, Start With Why. Um, if you've been taken over as a leader of a new team, um, you know, and I'll, I'll use this example. You know, when I was a junior Marine and you, you come home from the field and you're all on the buses and you're tired and, well, now you get, a, you get home and you're on a bus for two hours stinking and cold and, okay, everybody bust out your weapons and clean them before they can go into the armory. It's like, you know what, man, I just sat on a bus for two and a half hours. I could have had this weapon clean. I could be eating hot meal right now. Why don't they ever let us clean our weapons on the bus? And then you get into that position where you're the one telling guys, hey, bust out your weapons and clean them. And you understand this is just one example. But once you get to that higher level of leadership, you realize why some of the things that you thought were really stupid when you were that ground level person really weren't that stupid. You know, if I'd asked you to bust open your weapons on the bus, half you would have lost your firing pins because it's a bumpy ride. We would have been missing stuff. The weapons wouldn't have gotten cleaned appropriately. We wouldn't have had appropriate accountability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you start to realize those things. So being able to you know, translate that back to the folks that maybe didn't get the promotion or maybe are in that lower um, and you, you know, this is why we have to do this this way or this is why I'm asking you to do this job. Um, that's hugely helpful. And and you'll get to the point, hopefully, again, if you're being authentic and, you, and you're doing your best to, to do your best, um, where people grow enough trust with you that, hey, I'm just going to ask you to do this. I can't explain why right now, but I need you to do it. Um, and if, you have built, if you've done a good, good enough job building that foundation, those relationships with your people, they're not always going to why, ask why every step of the way because they're going to trust that you're asking them to do something for the best interest of the team or for their best interest. Um, and then, you know, make those mental notes in the back of your head. You know, I asked – I asked so-and-so to do, do a few things today. We didn't have time to go over why. Um, you know, next time I talk to him or next week or tomorrow, I'm going to sit down with him and, or her and, and, you know, go over, hey, here's what the task was. Here's why I need you to do that. Do you see how it was important? And since we were in such a rush last week, you know, is there any way we could have done this better? Could it have been more effective if, if I had taken the time or if we had had the time to go about it in a different way than I asked you to do it? So, um, again, it's just that constant empathy, constant reflection, constant grading yourself um, on how good of a leader you're being uh, that I think will go the longest way. And that was a lot to unpack right there. So <laughs> No, that's great so, stuff. Uh, and a lot of what I hear you saying too is that, you know, a lot of people are really good at keeping the communication lines open when things are going great. Um, you know, the team's mm -hmm. well, but they're not really good with the tough conversations. Like, hey, uh, Brian, you know, you've been coming in five minutes late every day the past five days. Uh, what's up? Is there something wrong? Is there something I can help with? You know, instead of just mm -hmm. letting Brian keep, you know, coming in late and then eventually he's an hour late, then he's two hours late. If I don't say anything, um, you know, and then I come up to Brian, I'm like, hey, Brian, why are you two hours late? Um, but, you know, he's been coming mm -hmm. in two hours late for the past month. So, you know, uh -huh. the time to have that conversation was, you know, two months ago. <laughs> not not right is there. This um, not, yeah. is, this not so, uh, is this your not so subtle way of telling Brian that he's been late lately? Or <laughs> Brian is constantly <laughs> late all the time. Jeez. Um, so, Brian, this is actually why Nick brought me on the podcast. A nickel for every time he was late. No, I'm <laughs> just <laughs>
I'm just using Ryan as a um, as a punching bag in this example. Just you know, <laughs> I feel like people are always afraid to have those tough conversations. You know, it's absolutely. they're always more than willing um, to have them when when they're easy, but when they're tough, when you know, that's when people need the communication um, the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, there's a saying out there, you know, the one of the biggest illusions about communication is that it's actually taking place. Um, so that's something to always keep in the back of your mind that, that the words that are coming out of your mouth or that the things that you think your team understands or just an individual on your team, uh, the things you think they know or the things that you think you've communicated are often far from what they actually think they know or from what they actually receive in that communication. So that's one point of that. Uh, the other piece in my mind is that, you know, there are not a whole lot of easy ways to have a hard conversation. Hard conversations are hard. Um, but guess what? Leaders do the hard things. Um, that's why you've been asked to be put in this situation or in this position as a leader. And it's time to step up and, and have those conversations because, you know, what would have been like a kind of hard, hard conversation after maybe the first or second time someone was late or second or third time, whatever your um, your red line is, uh, for lack of a better term. You know, it's going to be a heck of a lot harder conversation if you let that person get away with it for a year and a half and suddenly that's why you need to fire them. Um or that's why you need to, you know, demote them or put them on a performance plan. Uh, you know, they're going to come, hey, man, I've been, I've been doing this. This is how this has been my steady state operation for six months. What do you just call me out for it now? Um, so, you know, there's that quote. I, I think we've talked about this before. You're a uh, you're a Jocko Willing fan, uh, extreme ownership. You know, that one quote from that book that I really like by the co-author, uh, author Leif, is, you know, it's, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And uh, so if you're tolerating someone being late all the time, but, but you know, your official memo says that we will arrive to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, but you let your people slink in at, you know, 8.05, 8.10, 8.15, um, you know, that's going to become a problem because you're not communicating through your actions. Uh, and then, you know, one additional thing I would add to that is that this really is, is a important part of performance management as well. Um, you know, coming from a government background, we have our GS levels, which are kind of similar to ranks in the military. Um, you can come into a position that's, you know, let's say it's a GS 9, 11, 12. Um, and what that means is that you're pretty much a, basically assumed to get your promotion from a GS 9 to a GS 11 after one satisfactory year, from your GS 11 to your GS 12 after another fully successful year. Um, but it's not guaranteed. If you're not performing appropriately and your supervisor does not believe that you're ready for that next level of responsibility, they're under no obligation to promote you. Um, but what I've seen happen time and time again with those sorts of positions is that, um, you know, this GS9 comes in, maybe there's three or four of them hired, uh, you know, they do a pretty good job. End of that year, they get their promotion to their GS11. Next year comes around, they've kind of been slacking off, they're not doing a great job. GS12 time comes up that second year. All their peers get promoted, but their supervisor says, you know what, you're not ready yet. Um, we're going to leave you as an 11 for another six months or another year. Um, and, you know, that's an oversimplification of the process. But then that one person who's not getting the promotion is furious. They're filing a grievance. All my peers got promoted, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that could have been avoided had three months into that performance year, six months into that performance year, nine months into that performance year regularly this manager or supervisor was having conversations with that employee. Hey, you know, you're, you've been slacking lately. Um, or, you know, your work really isn't up to snuff lately. And if you keep down this path, you're not going to be ready for promotion six months from now or 12 months from now. Um, and I'm not going to be able to give it to you. So here's some concrete strategies we can work on 
to make sure you're ready when that time comes. So like I said earlier, you know, it's easier to have that somewhat tough conversation the first couple times something isn't going well uh, than to wait to the end of the year when that person doesn't get the promotion they were expecting. And it's like, well, oh, I have this laundry list of reasons why you're not getting promoted. It's like, well, yeah, you never shared it with me, buddy. Uh, so, you know, you really are responsible for that, for that development of your team. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's easier to have a, a difficult conversation. So, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time, I guess is the old saying. <laughs> well, certainly one, one other approach that you can take is the public humiliation route. So, um, you can be sure for, yeah. <laughs> for any of our podcast guests, I'll never be late, uh, for our podcast. <laughs> that's right that's right no and honestly you know we we hear we hear this terminology in the corporate world in particular around having courageous conversations um which mm-hmm. is just an idea that i'd like to invert right now based on some of what we're talking about it's to me it's far simpler than that it's really just being honest and part of what uh, John that I agree with is it's being honest as quickly in alignment with the behavior of the incident that needs to be corrected as possible. Um, So that there's an opportunity for these things to fester over time and, and become behaviors that are harder to correct uh, later on. So let's just call it what it is. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, I've heard the saying before, you know, to, to fail to be honest is to fail to be kind. Um, and I think that one of the things that people often confuse is being nice and being kind. Um, you know, I always use this example. If I, if I got a booger hanging out of my nose and I say to somebody, you know, hey, how do I look? Being nice is, oh, hey, man, you look great. Like, go get them. Um, being kind is like, hey, man, you're going to want to go grab a tissue and get that booger out of your nose uh, before you walk out the door. Um, so I think that's a really good example of, being, being nice is telling me I look good and I feel great about that. And, you know, thanks, but I'm going to be walking around with this junk hanging out of my nose all day. And that's really embarrassing. So you failed to be honest and you failed to be kind. Um, and I think that absolutely, like you were saying, Brian applies to work conversations. Um, and you know, the, the term courageous conversation, you know, uh, I always like this idea. I like thinking about kind of human psychology and, and that kind of stuff a little bit is, you know, are you even being courageous if it's not, difficult or if you're not afraid um are you being brave if it's not hard are you being brave if you're not scared of it um and you know there's a whole deep psychological and philosophical conversation to have there um but the simplicity for me as far as it pertains to leadership is that you know these things are difficult um they don't have to be difficult like you were saying if you're honest and open up front or they don't have to be as difficult um but the job of being a leader does require a certain measure of bravery a certain measure of courage um, to have those difficult conversations when you need to. Very well said. Exactly. It's not, it's not all about you when you're the leader anymore. In fact, it's not about you at all. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's one of the difficult things for people to, uh, to understand is that, you know, when you're the leader and, and, you know, you should feel good about that. You get a promotion. That's a good thing. It's an accomplishment. Um, but it's, it's a career change. It's not a promotion. Um, you're now responsible for, for other people in a, in a very real way. Um, whether it's the military example of making sure they're, you know, properly equipped and trained to do the mission um, in the civilian world, whether it's, you know, they're properly equipped and trained and, and, uh, and led to be successful so they can feed their families and go home at night and live the rest of their lives. So it's a, it's a very real, real responsibility um, and one that I think shouldn't be taken lightly. 
Well, and it's one that I'll, I'll add in an ever-increasing uh, flexible uh, sort of work uh, style that is, is more and more prevalent. And, you know, certainly in the world of technology, we're very familiar with uh, remote work uh, as just part mm -hmm. of a, a common, um, you know, method by which we get things done. It's even more critical to be able to have those honest conversations and, and to make sure that they're timely um, when you're not physically in the same office as others, uh, you know, it can also um, just compound what some of those challenges can be. Yeah, it's totally right. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I don't have a, a ton of experience leading remote teams, but um, one thing that I've observed a lot and, uh, and that I, I think really rings true is, you know, that, that particular instance starts with the hiring of people. Um, and it, and it really goes with, with trust very deeply is that, you know, trust is a two way street. Um, if you have employees that you don't trust to do a good job because you can't see them, you probably shouldn't have hired them to begin with. Um, and if all you're doing is checking in on your employees every 30 seconds, because you don't trust them, uh, while they're working remotely again, why did you hire that person to begin with? So it's a two way street there. And, um, you know, that remote situation really is difficult. Um, but I think there are a lot of strategies and, um, and especially with, you know, advances in technology, uh, these days, which is much more your guys world than mine, but, uh, there are ways to do it and ways to be effective in it. So micromanagement and leadership are not synonymous. Is that part of what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, I would say. Um, I think if you have to micromanage your people, you're, you're doing something wrong. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't have one-on-one -on -one conversations. It doesn't mean that you don't, you know, get intimately involved in, in making sure they're, they're doing good work. But uh, you should really, in my opinion, set people up with the tools uh, they need to be successful and set them free. Um, you know, build, build the capacity to, to push information and push uh, responsibility down to the lowest possible level. I think nine times out of 10, people will really surprise you with what they can do uh, if you just give them the opportunity as opposed to standing over their shoulders um, trying to do everything. And if you do find, frankly, that you're standing over people's shoulders, um, monitoring every second of your work, you got to ask yourself, what am I missing? Because I'm, I'm now in the position, I'm the one to lead. I need to be looking out over the top and, and looking at the strategy and looking at the approach. Um, and, and seeing what's coming down the pike, um, ready to you know, smack us in the side of the head. And if, if you're constantly over the shoulder of your employees, you're not, you're not looking further down the road, and, and that's a problem. So well said. Thank you, John. And as a point of clarification, before we uh, let the podcast completely get away from us, I do want to uh, make a correction. I appreciate you uh, uh, thanking me for being a veteran. I am not a veteran. I did go through uh, JROTC um, all through high school and uh, kind of like what oh, you were okay. talking about, uh, you, you reach a decision point. Um, where, you know, there are a number of factors that you have to consider uh, about, uh, you know, what's a long-term career fit going to be for you, uh, either stepping into the ranks or not. Um, so uh, uh, in, in my case, I, you know, kind of like you, I was very passionate about uh, aerospace engineering. Uh, I had dreams mm -hmm. of being a pilot and with eyesight like I've got, um, those were dreams that mm -hmm. forever elude me. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it kind of took the bloom off the rose for me with uh, some of the other things uh, that I'd have to deal with within that, uh, that structure. Gotcha. I'm sorry for the confusion, but uh, thanks for serving anyway and, and helping people be better leaders. How about that? Much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> really great stuff. So it, it, 
we're just going to kind of uh, wrap up here. I just want to ask a question here that I, I generally ask all, all our uh, guests here. Uh, like, I know you already mentioned a couple books, but is there any book that's had like a big influence on you um, that you want to share with us? Yeah, sure. Um, one that I recommend and that I've actually given away a number of times is uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Me. Um, it's a book that I actually reread every single year. Um, my copy has all kinds of weird notes and things in the margin. And uh, what's really cool about it is it's a very quick read. I think it's, you know, under 200 pages. Um, for those that don't know, uh, Victor Frankl was a, a psychologist who was also a uh, um, Nazi uh, concentration camp survivor. Um, and he actually kind of refined and built out his, his theory of psychology um, partially during his time in the camps. And uh, one of his, one of the quotes that he uh, uses a lot um, that I believe is a quote from Nietzsche is that, you know, he who has a, has a why can bear almost anyhow. Um, and it's, it's really just a remarkable book about, you know, deciding, you know, what is, what is meaningful in my life? Uh, you know, what direction do I want to be going? Am I living in the service of others? Um, and it's just been a tremendously impactful uh, book for me that that's a good one to refresh every single year. Um, more specifically towards leadership, um, the book that kind of started me down this journey, if you will, was uh, a book by John C. Maxwell called The 360 Degree Leader. Um, it is an amazing book for uh, young new leaders. Uh, it really talks about how you can lead up, down, and across the organization. You know, you don't have to be the CEO or the chief of staff or a VP of anything uh, to be a leader. You can lead right now today from where you are in your organization, uh, whether that's, you know, whether you have the title or not, or whether you were hired five minutes ago, uh, you can be a leader. Um, so that's another great one that I, that I recommend to people quite often. So. Yeah. I appreciate both those recommendations. Victor Frankel's book sure. has been an influence on me as well. And one that I've given to many people over the years, I think it's got uh, a great. lot of, uh, tremendous areas of benefit and uh, I, I love uh, exactly the the context that you pulled out. Uh, if you've got a sense of your why, you can bear just about anyhow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great. I'm glad there's another uh, Frankel fan out there. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read that book and I'm going to have to go back and reread it. My cue's starting to stack up on me here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's so why lately, you know, I've been trying to do more audiobooks or read on my Kindle. Yeah, but, um, they're great. You know, sometimes, you know, it's just uh, it's a little, little difficult to squeeze something in, but you, you always got to try, right? You always got to try to find that's something right. new. Before we close out, I think that's one real good point there is that, you know, there always is time um, to become a better person, to become a better leader. If you're, if you're saying there's not enough time in the week, uh, you know, I think nine people out of 10 are probably just fooling themselves and not taking the time because, you know, you probably sat down and watched TV or did something that could have been productive time. So, um, yeah, like I was saying at the beginning with the journaling and, and whatnot, the self-reflections, don't lie to yourself either and uh, either make the time or, or don't, you know. Words of wisdom. Thank you, sir. <laughs> My pleasure. Like, so, so you're basically getting on me for uh, saying I can't read. I'm, I need to make down time. That's what you're saying. But. He, he was falling on the heels of your public humiliation, Nick. It, it works both ways, yeah, pal. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 whatever works. Well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of 80. I'm not, I'm, not saying, things, uh, you know? I'm not saying I never make excuses either. Uh, you know, we're, we're all human. You know, life does get away from us. But, uh, 
and you, I think you guys both do a great job of trying to stay sharp on your leadership skills. I'm, I'm more talking about the folks that are, uh, oh, you know, I, I don't really read. I, I just don't really have the time or this, that, the other thing. Um, or, you know, I don't work out or I don't listen to, you know, good information, good podcasts, good audio books. I just don't really have time. Um, but, but they'll tell you everything that was on sports center last night or their favorite sitcom. So for what that's worth, that's what I meant. <laughs> I know. I was of, just giving giving you a hard time. <laughs> I don't hear a lot of people complaining that they don't have enough TV watching time. That's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> and I think that's I think that's a fair point. I mean, you know, there's so much more way to learn content nowadays. You don't have to just necessarily read a paperback book between audiobooks mm-hmm. and, and podcasts, and you know, people have blogs. There's there's some form of content that you can read within two or three minutes. I mean, I, I know for me, there, there's um, this marketing podcast I listen to every now and then. It's called The Marketing School. Um, and mm-hmm. it's maybe like a daily podcast is like three minutes long. It's like this little chunk of wow. section of like something you need to know and it's three minutes and it's daily. Um, so you can sit down and you're cool. waiting for the doctor. You got a couple minutes, just listen to one of those, you know? Um, there you I don't go. get Perfect. everything that they say, but I try to stay on top of, uh, you know, some of that, that, uh, space as well because as brian will tell you you know us in it we're, we're kind of working a lot with uh you know the cmos lately um more than uh-huh. we used to in the past mm-hmm. right. so it's kind of good to you know brush up and kind of learn of a little bit about their world absolutely and, and you know while we're talking about different ways of learning and stuff um i know you said we were going to wrap up a minute ago and i keep jaw jacking i told you it's hard to get me to shut up um <laughs> But uh, I think that one of the other things that's really important, at least for me, and you know, everybody learns differently, is, is actually the talking piece too. You know, a big part of leadership obviously is listening and being an empathetic leader, listener, and active listener. But um, you know, setting a time apart time um, like we're doing right now to talk about leadership, talk about management, talk about issues. Um, I firmly believe that human beings learn through talking. I know I do. Um, I know I've started conversations on you know one side of an issue and after saying it all out loud and, and hearing myself say it and hearing other people's positions on it, you know, I, I arrive at a completely different destination than I thought I was going to at the beginning. Um, and I think that's healthy as long as you have an open mind to having your mind change or an open mind to learning something new from yourself or changing your position on something. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean you compromise your values or, or you can, you know, flip flop at this, at the drop of a hat, but um, that open mindedness of, for exploring difficult ideas, I think is incredibly important. No, that's great. And a, a good friend of mine, you know, who is, um, he's an engineer and he has this great saying, he's like, you know, he, he says, I love being proven wrong because at that point, then I've learned something. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think that's a great look to have is like, you, you need to be open that, that what your idea is, is probably not correct. Or maybe someone has a, has uh-huh. another idea and that's not for you to learn. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, jaw jack with us today. It's been uh, <laughs> it's it's been edifying and entertaining, uh, all wrapped into one. So, uh, and uh, I knew you've got a, a busy schedule that you keep as well. So, thanks for making the time for us. It's been terrific. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. People are looking for you. Um, where can they find you? Uh, you know, I'm actually. It's funny, I work in the communications field and I am really um, not big on social media and that kind of stuff. You know, I have it and it exists, but uh, I'll just uh, tell people to 
stay tuned. Uh, one of these days, as I get a little more into the uh, the leadership development world, I'll uh, I might have a website or, or a, a more public facing social media presence. But uh, but for now, they can uh, listen to my words of wisdom here on the podcast and, and keep listening to you, you fine folks. Fair awesome. enough. Really appreciate your time. You know, it's just like you know. The, the the chef who cooks at work all day long doesn't go home and and then cook a gourmet meal for himself. So exactly, <laughs> get it. Totally. <laughs> well, that is just want to uh, thank you for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Well, to have you on again. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of uh, some of the items we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you both uh, for the invite, and be happy to come back sometime. Awesome. Right. Thanks, Thanks again, John. Thanks. Thanks.